let's get agreement that this is a strategic priority. That area of alignment and synergy can be very important. Future, we're committed to expand valuation. time, there's still progress that needs to be made. This is Healthcare Strategies. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Shania Kennedy. I'm the assistant editor of Health IT Analytics. And today we are going to be discussing the hot topic of AI a little bit. I mean, saying it's a hot topic, I guess, is a little bit of an understatement. And a lot of the conversations in the space right now are sort of focused on how these tools can be used in the clinical setting safety, safely and effectively. A lot of those conversations are also focused on the tools themselves. But there's also been a push recently to make sure that medical students are being educated about how these technologies are going to affect them as they become more prevalent. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about that, actually. We're going to hear about, from what I understand, the first dual degree program in the U.S. to do this, which is the Doctor of Medicine and Master of Science in Artificial Intelligence, which is offered by the University of Texas at San Antonio and the UT Health San Antonio Long School of Medicine. And to tell us more about it, we actually have the program's director on the show with us today. His name is Ronald Rodriguez, MD, PhD, and he's actually a professor of medical education at the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio. So, Dr. Rodriguez, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, and thanks for inviting me to this. Yeah, absolutely. So... I know that this program is new and a lot of our audience may not have heard about it yet, but I think it's really interesting and that's why I wanted to have you on with us. So can you sort of tell us a little bit about the program and how it was developed? Yes. So we started this process about four years ago. And at the time I was given a report to the incoming dean about certain areas that I felt we should make some investments in and expand our efforts. And the one area that I felt was uh, particularly pressing was artificial intelligence and the increasing uh, use of these technologies in science and medicine and how I felt at some point it was going to become uh, a very important aspect of how we practice medicine. When I discussed this with him, he asked us to hold a retreat with stakeholders who could participate in this. We asked UTSA, our sister university, a few miles away to participate, and the two groups got together, and we had a four- or five-hour retreat. We discussed the technologies that were present, the plans for moving forward with the university versus the Health Science Center, how we might be able to come together and and work collaboratively. And that was really the genesis of all of this. One of the things that had happened was that the university – had decided to invest in the development of a school of data science, and they were going to invest heavily in artificial intelligence and hire a bunch of new faculty specifically in that arena. And once they hired a couple of people, several people in that core area, then we got together with them maybe three and a half years ago or so and started to vet how we would actually put together a training program to specifically allow our medical students to capitalize on this computer science area. That person, Darisha Kudithapafudi, she and I started meeting regularly. Every two or three weeks, we would meet. And we would start to iron out the steps that needed to be taken, what would constitute the core requirements of a, a training, what would be something reasonable for medical students to be able to learn without requiring a formal degree in computer science. 
and the logistics of how we would do this between two campuses. And there were quite a few obstacles that we hadn't really considered until we started putting this together. We made an application to University of Texas Systems, which is the umbrella for all of the UT schools, and there's quite a few of them. And then we got some direction back from them about the best way to do it. Initially, we were trying to do it as a joint degree program where one degree would be conferred by two institutions simultaneously. And uh, once we started that path, we were notified that the complexities of that made it so difficult that it would be better if we had one institution confer the degree and the other form a memorandum of understanding and agreement through which they would allow us to provide students to them, give us certain provisions such as a waiver for the GRE. We would do certain things to ensure that the students were in good standing and being able to move forward into a more complicated area without impacting their academic standing. So we would vet them from our side as well. We would provide some training in some ancillary areas that could be electric credit that would be transferred towards a degree. We would work out the tuition arrangements, the schedules. There's a difference in cost between tuition for a university and tuition for a medical school. And we had to work out those logistics as well. There are all kinds of legal agreements, FERPA agreements. There's a 20-page document that had to really be worked out to determine the optimum way to do this. Uh, and it was a tedious process. It took us more than three years to work through it. But I think now we're quite happy with the result. And even more importantly, should we ever decide to do other dual degree programs, we have a really good template in place now that would allow this to go much faster. At the time that we first started this, I have to admit that I did not expect that there would be this incredible wave of enthusiasm that would swell up around the use of artificial intelligence in medicine the way that it has in the last year. So keep in mind, three or four years ago, I was telling everybody, I'm trying to do this, and it's like, yeah, okay, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and, and I couldn't get people really excited about it. Right. And But I did do my due diligence. I sent out a questionnaire to all the medical students, and I asked them, if we did this, would you come and join it? Would you be willing to take an extra year of training to get this master's? And do you think it's important enough in your career? And I tell you, they were much more in tune with this than I think a lot of the older people in the institutions were. They knew it immediately how important this was going to be. And more than two thirds said that they would very much like to hear more. And as much as a third would seriously consider taking an extra year. So why is a program like this beneficial for current and future medical students, you know, as AI becomes more prevalent and sort of grows in the healthcare space? You have to remember that there's a financial investment of that extra year. It's, you know, another year of tuition and a year that you're not earning an income when you're a student. And that can really add up, you know, when you're getting into this age group. Right. And yet most of them, recognized how important what, uh, this was, and many of them were willing to make that sacrifice early on for a variety of reasons. I think they recognize that in this current environment, getting into a high-quality residency uh, is not easy. And there is a limited number of slots, and there are more students vying for the slots than there are slots. And so it is a competitive process. And if you want to get into a really good program, you have to be an amazingly strong student 
these days. And frankly, you can't be in the top of your class. Uh, not all of the class can be in the top of their class, right? And, and so half of the class is not going to be there, but how are they going to compete still? And one way you can distinguish yourself is by developing a niche while you're a student that demonstrates additional skills that you have that may bring value to the place that you're going to go train for your residency. And this was one of those things where it was obvious immediately to the students that there could be great value in knowing how to utilize artificial intelligence tools. We went ahead and moved forward with it. We worked out all the details. We got the approval from all of the different components of UT in April. We recruited three students who were already enrolled in it. They actually uh, joined us before we had even made the announcement. Just word of mouth that they knew this was happening and there was that much enthusiasm. I've had quite a few students contact me via email or in person, directly and indirectly, to get more information about it. And I'm going to be giving several information sessions with the students, one at the end of this week and another one in another month, so that they can gear up. The current program structure is that they go through the first three years of their normal medical school training. And then between the third and the fourth year, they take time off. So they officially take a leave of absence. During that leave of absence, they will do a couple of things. They will first take an elective course with us that will be for transfer credit that will give them some background and preparation for their didactic training. In one case, it was a boot camp that we did for one of the students. And then they have a different schedule than we do. They have a semester for uh, summer, fall, and spring. We don't have that. We go by blocks, and the blocks are usually four, eight, and 12-week blocks, and they correspond to rotations. And so we had to align our block schedule with their semester schedule. They go in in that leave of absence year in, in July 1. The actual courses at UTSA are didactic courses that start in August. They finish the didactic year in May. They come back to us in July 1. That gives us time to be able to give another elective course between the time that they finish at UTSA and when they come back formally into UT Health Science Center. And currently we are developing a course for that time interval in July of next year focused on the use of technologies to interface with the electronic medical record through an API, which is going to be substrate for a bunch of other things that they'll be doing in the rest of their lives. And then we have two more courses that are required to complete their thesis, which are capstone projects in which they have to demonstrate their understanding and use of the skills that they've acquired. And then they have to write a formal thesis and submit it for publication. And all of that rolls together into a master's of artificial intelligence with thesis. And right now we are the first to have put together such a program which is an integrated program between two different campuses with a very distinct focus on healthcare and its applications and requiring data be used from the health sciences. So you can't just go somewhere and get an engineering master's. This is a true health science degree and it prepares them to be able to use these technologies in a myriad of really important ways. Yeah, it was fascinating for me to read about as somebody who is an editor of a site who covers health, AI, and analytics, just because, you know, 
I interview lots of different people, lots of different providers, some of whom are AI experts as well as clinicians and others who are just sort of starting their AI journey, even though they've been clinicians for a few years now. And most people in my audience probably don't know this, but I got my bachelor's degree. I graduated in 2020. So a lot of my friends and my peers from college who, you know, wanted to pursue medicine either are in medical school right now or doing residency, you know, and they are really interested in this. So I am hoping that some of our listeners out there might be in the same position because I think this is a really great program, especially as you mentioned you know, AI becoming so much more prevalent, even in just the last year, you know, chat GPT, all these other technologies have really made a huge splash across healthcare and across every industry. So I think that's why it's really important to sort of, you know, amp up the education around these tools, especially because I don't think they're going anywhere. And most people I talk to also don't think they're going anywhere. So that's really why I wanted to have this conversation. And I really wanted to, you know, get a feel for what an education would look like combining, you know, medical school with a master's degree in AI. Because when I read about it, I was like, well, these two things, you know, with medical school being set up the way it is, as you mentioned, not having the same schedule, you know, so on and so forth. How do you integrate those two things? But you explained it really well. And it seems like you guys have really taken all of those challenges into account. But I have to wonder, obviously, you're probably not the only institution who is considering how to educate your students on AI. I'm sure other medical schools, other universities are also sort of looking at this and sort of feel challenged because you have to coordinate the staff, you have to have the expertise, both the clinical side and the AI side, that scheduling conflict we talked about, all of that. So I'm sort of wondering, since you've been in this for over four years at this point, and you've really been key in developing it, you know, do you have advice for other institutions who might be sort of looking at this and wondering, you know, how do we improve our students' education around AI, or even those who want to develop a program like this themselves? I think that there's two different ways that one can incorporate AI into the medical school curriculum. One is to use it as a tool to achieve medical education. In that case, you might be utilizing it to help improve the way that students ingest content and get tested on it. And there are some really novel ways that you can do that. But the other is to take a much deeper dive. And that's what the MS and AI does. And if you really want to take that really deep dive, that requires infrastructure. And so that requires right. some investments for the medical school, and some are better positioned for that than others. If you look across the country, there are multiple medical schools that have access to engineering facilities, computer science departments within a university, or schools of data science and bioinformatics. Most of these are usually in the past been set up as standalone institutions. There may be a school of data science or a school of bioinformatics, and these standalone institutions are not specifically trying to train medical students to become doctors that use AI. They're trying to conduct research in AI so that doctors can use them. There's a distinction. Right. So the paradigm shift here, I think, is expecting 
that medical students are going to be more than just end users. They're going to be the innovators. They're going to be the drivers. And I think it's really important that we take that stance because if not, then we will be just the end users. And we will have the technology developers telling us how to take care of patients. And as a practitioner for more than 30 years, I can tell you that I was a, a practicing at a time where third-party payers and insurance companies did not have such massive control over how we practice medicine now. And it's really discouraging as a provider to be told what, in our opinions, may be the best course of action, not being covered by the insurance because they don't think it's a viable approach. And they basically direct us in ways that are, frankly, not in the best interest of the patients. I feel the same thing could happen with AI technologies if we are not careful. It is possible that we could be the ones being told by AI what to do and not driving the AI to give us or empower us to be the most effective we can be. That's part of my drive for wanting to do this. I want the students that we graduate to not only know how to use the tools, but how to create the tools, to understand how we can best apply them, to understand where the best impact can be achieved for their particular area, and to develop them. We should be leading this. We should not be led. And so that's why I have such passion for this. And I can tell you that if you think about what's happened in the last six, seven months that has changed the outlook for how AI is going to be utilized, I think. It has some really clear relation to when chat GPT was released, which went from something that nobody had ever heard of to having 100 million users within a few months, the fastest growing app in the history uh, of the internet. And that tells you something about just how important this is. And then taking a step back and recognizing what Meta did when they released Llama and made it open source. That changed the dynamics dramatically, allowing independent academicians, businessmen, developers to be able to see the large language models and incorporate them into their own use cases without having to have the computer resources to develop a 70 billion token large language model. Give it to you for free, essentially to use as a foundation for applications. That is an amazing opportunity. And that, I think these two things is partly to blame or is responsible for why there is such widespread uh, excitement about it. Right now, you can download the Llama 2 data set for the large language model, put it into a working environment that Docker, AI, and Hugging Face, and some other groups have put together that is already a platform that you just have to do some minor modifications to and direct your efforts towards training it to more specialized areas. I took a few files from an education resource for urology and just processed it as a PDF to Llama 2 to see whether or not it could be usable as a training vehicle for urology core principles. And I was shocked at how effective it was. I asked it to create 10 multiple choice questions in the area of medical management of BPH, and it gave me 10 very good questions. I asked it to create a treatment plan for a 57-year-old male with BPH and enlarged prostate, normal PSA, normal rectal exam, and diabetes, 
And it gave me a three paragraph treatment plan that addressed every one of those things. I asked it to tell me an after visit patient instruction set that I could give to a patient after seeing them with that same set of conditions. And it gave me a text that was written to the level of a patient that would tell them what to look for in terms of side effects from the drugs that I had prescribed for them. And it was really surprising because it didn't take that much training for it to get to that level of sophistication. And before I gave it a few documents and I asked it the same questions, it gave me back what most of these chat GPT things does, which is you should consult a medical professional. Right. (laughs) And, And so it was just, it was really impressive where these things can go. And what we can do with them, I think, is uh, almost endless. We can use them to teach. We can use them to schedule patients. We can use them to figure out when a patient's going to require more resources so that you can actually schedule an appropriate amount of time for them. We can figure out a better alignment of our supplies and resources in a clinic to the patient needs that we're treating. We can better figure out who the best doctor would be to treat a particular condition that someone wants to get into a clinic when there's a choice of 10 or 12 different doctors and the person scheduling doesn't really know who's better at what, but an AI could tell them who's the very best person in this and who's somebody who should be looking at something else. It can empower us in so many ways. And I think that, that the future for healthcare could be really dramatic. I know that there are a lot of physicians who are really worried that these technologies are going to somehow replace the need for physicians or somehow cause us to do more harm by creating biases in care because we already have biases in care. And if you train it to do what we do, you're only going to propagate those biases. And those concerns are well-founded but they don't necessarily negate the potential utility of this technology. They simply make us aware of how we should direct ourselves in in developing it. And that's why I think it's particularly important for physicians to be driving this, because I think they'll be much more in tune with that than the technology experts. Yeah, I have to say, I agree with you. You know, all the clinicians that I speak with about this topic, you know, most of them are very hopeful about the future of AI, but they really emphasize that, you know, clinicians need to be leading that charge as the ones who, you know, had all this training to be able to provide the specialized care that they do. And to do so without perpetuating those biases, like you mentioned, but I think a program like this plays a really important role in doing that. You know, you're teaching the next generation of clinicians not only how to do all of the things that clinicians have done, you know, throughout time, but now to be able to take these technologies that have huge potential to improve patient care and use them in a way that is safe and effective for everyone and not just for a few people. So... That is all the time we have, unfortunately, but I do so appreciate your insights. I appreciate you coming on to chat with us. It was a really fascinating conversation, and I hope that more institutions down the line sort of take this approach to their medical education, you know, incorporating AI 
in a way to make their students able to engage with it in a helpful way. So thank you so much again, Dr. Rodriguez. Thank you. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you again for tuning in. If you have any thoughts on this topic or any healthcare related topics that you'd like us to consider for coverage, you can always feel free to reach out to me over on Health IT Analytics at skennedy at intelligentmedia.com. That's S-K-E-N-N-E-D-Y at intelligentmedia.com. And if you enjoyed our chat today, you know, let us know. Follow us on whatever podcast platform you're on. Leave us a review and we'll see you in the next one. This is a Tech Target production.